It's time for episode 84 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 22nd, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where it's time for Earth Day podcasting. I'm your host, Dan Morin, and I am flying solo this week, casually, of course, uh, with no co-host since Jason Snell is away at another one of his interminable conferences. But I'm joined by a fantastic roster of guests this week. To my left, from The Wirecutter, Mr. Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Uh, Following that, across the virtual table for me is... Also from the wire cutter, <laughs> Ms. Jackie Chang. Hi, Jackie. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a double feature of wire cutter, <laughs> folks. And at our at our vaunted nine o'clock position, Ooh. not from the wire cutter, but uh, from MacWorld and a variety of other places, too numerous to name. Mr. Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello. In honor of the wire cutter presence, I think we should call this episode Crockwise. <laughs> <laughs> that nope vetoed immediately vetoed should call it the best podcast for most people yeah (laughs) yeah i I hope that we make your eventual podcast selection list of the best podcasts for everybody that's what i'm aiming for having both of you on today uh so clockwise as always we will discuss four technology topics we will go around the circle and each sort of get a chance to weigh in on our variety of topics and because i am this week's only host I get to go first. And naturally, my topic is about the Star Wars trailer. No, my topic is not about the Star Wars trailer. Um, My topic's actually about this little device I have on my desk right now that I got right before I left for vacation a couple weeks ago, which is an Amazon Echo. Um, And this, you know, this is this sort of weird one-off device that Amazon announced earlier, this very early this year, I think. Um, and it's Last sort of, fall. was it that late? Oh man, yeah. I, I think I signed up to order one. And it didn't show up until, you know, April for me. So I, I maybe I've compressed that time. Um, but it's essentially kind of a intelligent voiced assistant a la Siri in a Bluetooth speaker that sits on your desk. Uh, and I found myself kind of intrigued by it. It's not a perfect device by any mean. And for me, what's weird is that it came from Amazon. I feel like in some ways, Google or Apple seems much more likely to sort of tap into their large databases about people. But I, I love this idea of having an intelligent assistant that I don't have to worry about finding my phone or my iPad to summon Siri, uh, that it's always just sort of floating in the air around me. And I, I really kind of dug some of the features they've added to it. So I'm curious to, to hear from you guys. Is, is the Echo something that you find interesting? Dan, I I know you have one. Um, I'm kind of curious if you use a lot or what you use it for or whether just sort of the intelligent assistant thing appeals to you or not. Well, we were a little bit ambivalent about it because the idea of Amazon listening to every word that, <laughs> that is said in its proximity is a little scary. It's almost Googleish. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, like you, we found it to be really useful. We actually have it in our in our kitchen area and the kids use it all the time. I use it. We use it a lot for things like the weather. In fact, our kids who are spoiled now that they have multiple digital assistants, they'll say things like, let's ask Alexa. She's better at weather than Siri is. <laughs> um, and, and there's nothing weird about that. Your kids that. don't have imaginary friends. They have actual robotic <laughs> <Right>. friends. <laughs> um, so it's actually, it's really good for that kind of stuff. It's good at answering basic questions, you know, the kind of things that you can ask Siri to do, Alexa can do too. Uh, I find that actually right now, the recognition seems to be a little better yeah. on the the on the, the Echo. I would, I would agree. Maybe that it's because the, the, the Echo is always on a home network, so there's no you know issues with cellular coverage. Mm. Um, 
And they, like you said, they keep adding features every few weeks. A few weeks ago, they added a Belkin Wemo integration. And yeah, we have cool. a lot of Wemo devices in our house. So um, now we can just say, Alexa, turn on the living room light. And suddenly the light turns on. Um, and, and so we're actually using it a lot more than I expected. In fact, my, my biggest complaint about it is that it's kind of a crappy Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> if it was actually a really nice Bluetooth speaker, um, it might just be the whole sort of center of our kitchen audio area so so we're actually liking it more a lot more than i expected it to you know i have not used the echo firsthand obviously um you know i'm kind of getting that info from you but we use um hey siri with um with my husband's iphone at home and we seem to accidentally trigger it like constantly (laughs) even when we're not talking about siri at all so i I, you know that's (laughs) part of why naming naming your cat siri probably has a (laughs) or if your if your daughter is named alexa Alexa, then that might be problematic Oh, so and I just it, triggered it right here. I mean, so in that sense, you know, the whole like assistant thing, it's not that, you know, I actually use Siri a lot in general, like on my phone um, when I, you know, press the home button and trigger it myself. But I find that the Hey Siri thing doesn't work so well for me. And so that's kind of my reservation about trying out the Echo too. Like I, I, I just worry that I'll just be constantly annoyed because it's accidentally picking things up and, and whatnot. I'm always really skeptical about these things, but it's it seems it seems cool. But I agree with Dan that if it was a better Bluetooth speaker, it would probably be even more appealing. Yeah. Um, in, in general, to people, I got to think that once this this trial period is over and people like it or don't like it, um, that Amazon's going to come out with it's kind of like the Kindle Voyage version. You know, mm. it's like the bigger, better mm-hmm. one that still does uh, Alexa. Glenn, what about you? I dislike the um, the centralization of my information. At some level, I'm dubious about that, even though it seems inevitable and it's accelerating. And uh, after Samsung had a kind of walk back from months ago when it seemed like they were saying, well, if you say something illegal near your television set, we might have to turn it over to the authorities, which maybe wasn't exactly what was going on. They were covering their, uh, their bases in case something had gotten subpoenaed. But it feels a little bit much like, you know, we are being listened to no matter how much how useful it is and i've become uh you know dubious over the years as well about how much i want to be all into the amazon ecosystem or the echo system i guess it is now oh. they they sorry wow. terrible. just terrible. Uh, terrible i just came out of it can't help it uh and so i think this is another attempt like amazon uh, dash button and the amazon dash and all their systems they want to reach out into the real world uh beyond their virtual reach and bring uh you know make you order everything from them because it's so easy. Why would you do anything else? Because anything else requires more effort. So I'm, I'm hoping, I like the general idea that we could have a ubiquitous digital assistant that's only triggered on demand that isn't listening all the time to everything. Uh, but I don't know if I like the repercussions of it. Uh, however, you know, uh, if you read Ray Bradbury's There Will Come Soft Rains, we know how the story ends. Well, thank you all for your, your feelings on that. I'm, I'm, I continue to play around with Echo and see how it goes. Uh, Mr. Frakes, what's your topic this week? Yeah, so part of this is me just trying to ask you folks what you think in terms of if you've had any of these issues. But it seems to me over the last, I want to say year or so, I've seen more and more complaints with people when they get a new Apple device with complaints about setting it up and getting it running from the get-go. Um, our, our friend Glenn here has had a, a, no, <laughs> a, a notable Twitter uh, 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 um, story about and Macworld story for that matter, about getting his new MacBook up and running. Um, I think about things like iTunes backups for iOS devices, where you used to be able to just back up your device to iTunes, connect your new one, it would sync back and you'd be right where you started within a couple hours. Uh, And that hasn't worked for me in about a year, where every time I try to restore from a backup to a new device, it just, at some point it craps out. 
uh, and I've seen more of this on, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, complaints about this uh, and from people who I talk to in real life. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I, I, part of me says, is, is Apple's onboarding experience just getting worse? Or is it just that so many more people are using Apple devices that we're hearing more about them because they're just the numbers growing? And I'm wondering what you guys think, you folks think, I should say. Um, you know, I have really mixed thoughts on this. You know, there's a lot of times when I feel like it's never been smoother. And then other times, like you said, Dan, you know, especially when it comes to like dealing with iTunes and backups, that has always been a nightmare for me too. And, you know, I've had problems with it for years at this point. Um, and, and I think that when you talk to like your average person or, you know, like a parent or a friend, someone who's not a super techie, they always have horror stories about this kind of stuff. You're right. And you hear it all the time. So I, I do think that maybe we have moved in a direction where it is more, it's more complicated and it doesn't seem to work as well as it used to from Apple. Um, but then also I think there are elements of just, you know, wider appeal, more people using these things. So it's probably a combination of both. Um, but, you know, it's talking about Apple's, like, processes in general, um, especially as as it relates to iTunes. You know, that's kind of an, a, a popular topic to moan about on Twitter and otherwise. So it's, it's one of those things. You know, I, I wish that iTunes would get better. I didn't used to be one of these people who openly complained about iTunes, and, and now I am. So, <laughs> yeah, so you well, know. Welcome to the fold. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, I have the horror story Mr. Frakes was mentioning, uh, which was, uh, so I'm probably, I, I'm patient zero or something, uh, as I usually am. Um, I, I think Apple has slipped. I, I don't have, it's very hard to gather statistical information about it, right? So we have the anecdotes, but because we've all written enough about Macs over the years, we tend to both see it and receive it. So people come to us and complain, what's going on with Apple? Why did I get this thing? It was a problem. But recently I've set up a new MacBook. I had to migrate a computer. My in-laws got new you know, iPhones for the first time. Uh, you know, my wife had to upgrade her OS 10. So I've, I get to see firsthand what it's like. And I try to simulate being a, a real user. I get complaints sometimes in my Macworld articles. Well, why would you do it that way? I'm like, because anybody who doesn't, you know, isn't an expert is going to do it that way. And I have to simulate what they do. So the MacBook is a good example of how I would say this is verifiably slipped because they've got too many things they're trying to execute on once. They put up a support note. I think Dan, if, Dan Franks, if you notice this or not, um, but they put up a support note a couple days ago after the MacBook shipped that basically said, well, if you're doing a user account setup and it times out with a rainbow spinny, just wait 30 minutes and it'll reset. And you're like, oh my goodness. So that's not an anecdote. That's Apple confirming something that many people saw with the new MacBook. Now, how did that get through quality assurance? I don't know. I feel things have slipped because I hear so much about it from people who otherwise used to not have problems as well as from new users where before the experienced users would be laughing at the new users. You should just do it right. <laughs> so that, that I feel like is a change. Well, you know, anecdotally, again, speaking from my own experience, uh, I have uh, my Mac mini server sort of hooked up to my TV, and that has my entire photo library on it. Uh, and I'm still running iPhoto there because I haven't yet upgraded that machine to Yosemite or then thus to Photos. 
And part of that is because I've kind of decided, you know, I want to hold off and see how things were. Because when the Yosemite first came out, there were some rough edges. Maybe it's not such a big deal for me if I wait a few months and see how everything shakes out, see if any further updates and patches get resolved before I delve in. And that's that's a big change for me because not only as someone who writes about technology, but as someone who's pretty much always been an early adopter, uh, you know, I'm getting a little more conservative, I think, as I get older and decide, well, maybe I don't want to be the first one to dive in that pool because I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, now I'm restoring all my photos from my backup because I got them all erased. <laughs> so I, I agree that I think, you know, part of it is is ambition and Apple tries really hard to push the envelope and to make things easier. But that can sometimes have the, you know, sort of backlash of making things inscrutable when they don't work. All right, so that's two topics down and two topics to go, which means it's halftime. And at halftime, we'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsors. This week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Napkin from the fine folks at Aged and Distilled. Napkin's an app for the Mac, which helps you very easily and quickly annotate and mark up images, which means you can communicate better with other people. Napkin focuses on, help, on helping you get great results with a simple but powerful interface that gives you the right amount of control without overwhelming you with a whole bunch of buttons and dials that you're never going to use. If you're a designer or a developer, you're even better, like me, a writer who doesn't know anything about designing or even annotating pictures, Napkin helps illustrate points with great tools that let you call attention to details, draw circles around that button you need changing, or even enlarge areas of an image to help you highlight exactly what you need. For Napkin's most recent release, Agent Distilled have focused on enhancing the app, make it feel right at home on OS X Yosemite, and they've added tools that help you easily crop images or even let you redact them by blurring or pixelating out sensitive information, which often comes up when I'm using screenshots of contact information and the like. In comparison to similar tools, Napkin works on more than just single images. It has a broad canvas that lets you import a ton of pictures and you can work on them all at once, which makes it feel like kind of a great big artist canvas. And even better, when you just sort of draw and scribble on it, Napkin's smart enough to turn those scribbles, and in my case, stick figures, into great things like uh, shapes or arrows, callouts, what have you. You can even type into it just by, you know, starting to type. So it doesn't get much easier than that. Personally, I use Napkin for a lot of different image annotating things. I use it when I'm writing over at Six Colors with Jason, um, and it's perfect for making screenshots, especially in how-to articles where I want to call out a particular piece of information and say, look, this is the button that you click to get this, this setting turned on, or these are the checkboxes you need to worry about. So I really love Napkin. It helps me get my image work done a lot faster. It's a really versatile and powerful app, and it can help you communicate with the people that you work with even better. If you'd like to find out more, go to http colon slash slash nap.kn. That's nap, N-A-P dot K-N. You can also just search for Napkin in the Mac App Store. Napkin, say it with a picture and skip the thousand words. And that was halftime. We're back with two more topics. Jackie Chang, do you have a topic for us? Yeah, um, my topic, I guess, is uh, universal Twitter direct messages. Um, Twitter, as probably you guys know, um, they just flipped on this thing for all users that they previously were testing with just a limited group, um, where now any user can direct message any other user if you check a box in your um, in your settings to allow that. Um, so, I, it, again, this is actually kind of more like a question to you guys about um, whether you have done this and whether you regret it or not, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it depends on who you follow on Twitter, but to me, it seems like kind of an obvious thing to say, but you know, for me, I have always kept it off, you know, for the same reasons why I don't like publish my phone number on the internet. You know, it's, it's, uh, I get a lot of crazies and a lot of 
terrible things come in my inbox and I just don't want them there. Um, but you know, that's, that's a different experience than some other people. So, um, you know, I was just wondering if you guys were into that and also if you are into it, why? <laughs> well, God, why? Yeah. Yes. Well, as you know, I have been uh, the victim of brigading uh, uh, from uh, the, the the non-movement that shall not be named. And uh, although I've been, you know, very like I'm a very, very, very tiny target. And as a very, 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 very tiny target, uh, the amount of abuse I got was overwhelming. And so I, you know, I, I have a sense of the scale of people getting a hundred thousand times the amount of abuse I have. I'm like, all right, what I went through was horrible. I can't even imagine, right? So I have a sense of that. Now, but the, the thing that's interesting is I think Twitter put this out there so horribly that it actually annoyed people much more than it should. They were making an opt-in feature and it looked opt-out because the screen capture they released showed a checked box. Mm -hmm. And they said, we think people will really like this. It's like, no, this is for brands. It's maybe for reporters, maybe for specific people who are using Twitter in a certain way. It's not for everybody. And they're not making it a default option on. But we know the slippery slope, so we all worry that it will become a default option in the future, maybe for new users, or they'll flip a switch and say, well, if you haven't chosen a preference, we're making one for you, or who knows what. So we're, you know, obviously concerned about the slippery slope. Uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, I know a lot of women who were immediately said, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to turn this thing on. It's ridiculous. And, and some who said, no, you know, actually, uh, one reporter for Daily Dot, she said, I've had this on since they offered it in 2013. I never get any problems from it. And it's partly because, and this is, I think, very interesting and um, not uh, say inexplicable, but like uh, a counter counterintuitive, is that direct messages, they score higher when they're marked as a problem. Like if you report a direct oh, message as abuse, it's a direct mm -hmm. thing. And someone's more likely, I think, to get their account suspended immediately because it's directed. You can't argue it's not directed. And no one else sees it. So at some other level... It's uh, uh, it's invisible, so the abusers don't get the benefit of showing public abuse. So I think it still can be heavily misused, obviously. But I wonder if the direct messaging uh, uh, this this edition is not as terrible as it seems at first sight. But especially because it's actually opt-in. Yeah, I mean, I think the opt-in thing is a big part of it. I even as someone who deals a lot with the public and who often like you know wants to encourage people to contact me, you know, like. I don't know that this is something I would turn on just because I think the potential for misuse is so high. I think Jackie, you know, Jackie's point about like, I don't publish my phone number is is kind of on the right target for me, which is to say, you know, I, I, I my email address is not hard to find. I do get people who ask me on Twitter for an email address. Uh, but part of that is also that, you know, email has developed very sophisticated ways of dealing with things like spam. And, you know, it's very easy to... Uh, you know, there's a lot of tools built up around around email that don't necessarily exist for Twitter. So I think that it's a it's an interesting thing. I, I feel like, you know, all of us uh, perhaps being in, in a smaller percentage where we have a great number of followers and we don't necessarily follow everybody who follows us, you know, that's we may be sort of a more rarefied group of terms of like people who are likely to get a lot of messages from people outside of the people that we follow and who follow us. So I, I'm not sure that I feel like this is a feature for me. And I think that, you know, definitely, maybe I could imagine turning this on for something like, you know, I have accounts for some of the podcasts I run. We have a Clockwise account, for example. It, it might be worthwhile there because there's, you know, it's, it's an easy way to sort of give feedback. But then again, you know, a lot of times we get plenty of replies 
you know, sort of public replies about it. So I don't know if that would encourage people to write more or less, what have you. So I, I, I agree with Glenn that the messaging on this was really bad <laughs> in terms of the way they put it out there because it did get a huge sort of tidal wave of backlash, even though I think the feature itself is not that objectionable. Uh, but, you know, that Twitter, <laughs> Twitter has long had a problem sort of doing a good job putting its public persona forward. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with it, with what everybody says is that the message was terrible, and that um, I mean, let's let's be frank from from the start that Twitter has a horrible reputation, well earned, for protecting people from abuse, um, and so the idea of them saying, "Hey, look, we've got a play, we've got a way for everybody to be able to direct message you," is comes off as sort of tone deaf from them. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I, I've. I've asked for this feature, uh, some variation of this feature for, for a few years. And I know a lot of other people who have as well, because we got tired of people saying, hey, can you follow me so I can send you a direct message about this product? You know, it's like a vendor or something or a reader who wants to ask me a question, but doesn't want to publish, you know, do it, do it publicly. So there's clearly uses for this and I'm glad it's available now. Um, I think as long as, you know, Twitter handles it well, which is the big question to me is that because, like I said, they have historically had a very bad reputation for, for handling abuse. Um, for me, the big question is going to be once people start using this to send abuse, like Glenn was talking about, how is Twitter going to handle it? Uh, yeah. if, if they handle it well, then great for everybody. But if if it's more of the same, then it just seems to be opening up another avenue for abuse. All right. Uh, Glenn, what's your topic? Oh, well, this is a fun one because I like to learn new words. That's kind of my thing. And so my new word for this last week is photoplethysmography. Bless you. Can everyone say that? Uh, kids, photoplethysmography. It's a longstanding technology that uses light to measure things like pulse or blood pressure and so forth. So Apple introduced this word to us this last week by explaining, posting an explainer about how the Apple Watch measures your heart rate and uses photoplethysmography. They use a new approach that relies on uh, green LEDs, which have been in use again for a little bit. This will probably be the first mass market device that I've been able to find that'll be used by millions and then ostensibly, you know, hundreds of millions of people. So my question is this that's kind of cool we knew there was going to be uh, there are other heart rate sensors we knew there was going to be one in the apple watch but what else what other kinds of biometric parameters would you like a device to measure uh, either that doesn't exist today or that exists but nobody does it well so yeah that's that's a good point I, so you mentioned blood pressure but I, I don't think there is actually a really easy way to measure blood pressure using these kinds of sensors there's been some devices yeah. that purport they can do it mm -hmm. but so far I don't think anybody's actually gotten accurate readings uh, or anything more accurate than the the inflatable cuff which also has a great name it's like a sphygmometer or something <laughs> uh, and you know I, I as someone who has who has had to deal with with borderline high blood pressure I would love an ability to sort of track that more regularly and get a better idea of it because, you know, trying to remember to do that on a daily basis is kind of a pain. Um, I also think, obviously, the other big thing that I think would come up for a lot of people, not me personally, is something like the glucose monitoring for people who are diabetic. Um, and I, again, I don't know if there's something, some technology either in existence or coming down the pipe that would allow them to do that without the sort of invasive techniques that you need these days. But it would be, I'm sure, a big hit and something that a lot of people will get some use out of. So this is going to come across like a, a pundit showdown answer, but I swear it's not. It's actually a real answer, so bear with me. Um, so 
there's all these things that the Apple Watch can do and, and, and even the, the iPhone can do based on their accelerometer and this and that. They can tell you, you know, you, you have, you've been sitting for too long. It's time for you to stand up. You need to get more exercise. I mean, I stand all day at a standing desk. I get a decent amount of exercise. I don't need those, but I do probably need help in not using my phone so much. And oh. I'm sure I will have problem not using my Apple Watch too much when I get it. So um, I would like... And there's also been all these studies showing how people are like they're engrossed in their devices and it's rude and they, you know, they're, they're checking their messages while they're talking to people. So I want, I want my watch and my phone to say, hey, dude, you have looked at, you've picked up your phone 548 times since 9 a.m. <laughs> and you've looked at your Apple Watch for 75 minutes in the last two hours. <laughs> and, Shame uh, sensor. <laughs> and to say, you should probably talk to some real people now. Um, so I would, I, and they've got the accelerometers in there. They they know when you pick up the phone. They know when you turn your wrist. So I, it's entirely doable. So that's that's the kind of sensor I'd like to see. A device to tell you to not look at the device. It's yes. perfect. You know, I, I hate to glom onto uh, Dan's answer, but that's I I also have that same problem. Um, so that that would be useful to me. I, what I was going to say though, actually, to go back to the uh, blood pressure kind of comments, was that. You know, we've been trying to, at the wire cutter, we actually have someone who's been sort of working on um, a piece on blood pressure monitors. And something that he has really found in his research is that is that it is very, very hard to get kind of accurate results. And I think it's really cool to have a lot of those features. I think it's useful, even if it's not 100% accurate. But I think the important part is to communicate to people very clearly, you know, that this is not necessarily like doctor level you know, information you're getting here. It's more like so that you can track things day to day. If you talk to a lot of regular users, people very often tend to feel like, or, you know, at least when they communicate it back to back to you, like they kind of act like it's like, yeah, you know, medical monitoring, like major stuff when it's really, you know, consumer level, like kind of so-so quality, like accuracy. Um, so I think, you know, it, it would be really cool to have a, a lot of monitoring on the Apple Watch, as long as people are aware of the limitations. All right. Well, that's four topics, and that means it's time for our bonus question. Our bonus question this week is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash clockwise. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash clockwise. lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. While browsing around lynda.com, you can find all sorts of amazing courses, including everything from income tax fundamentals. Thankfully, you probably don't have to worry about that until next year. Uh, but even Excel shortcuts, typography, foundations of color is a pretty cool one if you are interested in learning more about designing. Uh, a lynda.com membership lets you learn from top experts. People are really excited about teaching these things. And you can stream thousands of video courses on demand, which lets you learn at your own schedule and your own pace. You can even watch and download courses to your Android or iOS device to learn while you're traveling, which is handy because I travel a decent amount. Your lynda.com membership gives you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash clockwise and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's, again, l-y-n-d-a dot com slash c-l-o-c-k-w-i-s-e. Thanks so much to lynda.com for supporting Clockwise and all of Relay FM. Um, my question for you guys is, what is your favorite place to experience nature that you've been? It doesn't have to be a place you go regularly, but like, what is your favorite sort of nature experience? 
you know what my family our favorite place to go for vacation if if, if we have the budget is Kauai. and um for those who've never been there it's in our opinion the best hawaiian island um it is the least urbanized so it's the most it still has the most just pure nature out there and uh in the span of an hour you can go from from amazing beaches to lush jungles to what is essentially a mini grand canyon um and it's just a beautiful place uh and you can kind of forget the rest of the world when you're there so we try to get there every few years and it's been too long since we've been there this is such a hard answer. I have so many different favorites. Um, it's it's hard to commit to one. Um, I, I guess I would say my current, one of my current favorites is, uh, it's kind of a weird answer, but um, I really like going to uh, my husband Clint's uh, family's farm out in Kansas as like a vacation spot. Uh, it's kind of more like a roughing it type vacation type situation, but um, I, I like escaping out there. So I live in a city and it's, you know, Seattle's not a giant city, but we have a lot of light pollution. My back alley is apparently the path of the dead. When you're back there, there's, you can't see any of the streetlights nearby. And I've gone back there to like take the trash out or whatever. And I discovered years ago, if I look up, I can actually, within just a few minutes, see really uh, low magnitude stars or uh, dim stars uh, because of this effect. It almost prevents this light leakage and my eyes get used to it so fast. So it's a weird thing, but if I want to see the stars, I can just go out in the back alley and get something that feels a little bit like being out in the middle of, uh, of you know, the woods somewhere. It's a very strange phenomenon and I appreciate that it's there. Cool. Well, I, I'm my personal favorite place to go repeat, like on vacation, as I've said in the past, is my uncle's place in the Finger Lakes, which I love. I also really like Kauai. I've also only been once, but I really want to go back. Um, I will say of, of all the vistas I've seen, though, I think the one that I really loved was the Painted Desert in Arizona. Um, the Grand Canyon was cool, but it kind of wore off after a while, whereas the Painted Desert was like, wow, these, these colors are just amazing. And I kept trying to take pictures of them, and it was always underwhelming compared to the actual place. So I'll have to make it back there at some point. Uh, well, thank you all for being here. Uh, that, that wraps up our show today. I'd like to thank our guests. Mr. Dan Frakes, thank you for being here. Anytime. Thank you. Ms. Jackie Chen, thank you for being here. Thank you, and happy Earth Day. And Mr. Glenn Fleischman, a pleasure as always. Likewise, thank you. And that's it for this episode of Clockwise. We'll be back next week. Jason Snell should be returned from that point, <laughs> unless something really terrible happens to him. So it remains only for me to remind you to watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.